I hope you have your Bible, your copy of God's Word with you today. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, as we continue our study, we, we return once again to the sweet Word of God, the powerful, sharp, two-edged sword of the Word of God, and I hope it's your desire as it is my desire that each and every time that we open God's word, that we are challenged and encouraged and strengthened afresh to leave this place today and go out into the week before us to live for God's glory. I hope that's your desire. Philippians chapter 1, we'll be there in a moment. Bible scholar Matthew Henry once was attacked by thieves And he was robbed of all of his money. And he wrote these words in his diary. Let me be thankful first. I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Third, although they took my all, it was not much. Fourth, let me be thankful because it was I who was robbed, and not I, who did the robbing. (laughs) What a remarkable attitude. I long for an attitude like that. Oh, Oh, how far from that attitude I am at times. To look at an adverse situation, to say the least, And to come up with those kinds of things to praise God about, what a remarkable attitude. It's much like the remarkable attitude that we've been seeing in Paul's example here in our study of Philippians together. We've been seeing here that there is real joy, there is true joy for followers of Jesus Christ. There is As we've been seeing here in Paul's example, we've been seeing that there is true joy. There is real joy for all who put their faith and and trust and their daily faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is true joy for followers of Jesus Christ. But what about when we face troubling times? What about when we face adversity? What about when we face something that truly tries us to our core? What about then? How can there be joy then? Is there even a reason for joy in adverse circumstances? Well, you know I'm going to say yes, right? You do know that, right? I believe there is a reason for joy, even in adverse circumstances. And again, I think we can see it in Paul's example. As we look at verses 12 through 14 this morning, I want you to look with me at these verses because I think in this example we can see that there is reason for joy, even in adverse circumstances. Follow along with me in your copy of God's Word as I read from the English Standard Version. Verse 12, Philippians 1. 
I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now picture with me, if you can, picture Paul writing this from prison under 24-hour guard, no privacy. And yet, instead of being discouraged with his circumstances, he finds it in himself to write this letter to the church at Philippi, to the Philippian believers. And he writes, instead of being discouraged and disheartened with his circumstances, he is overflowing with joy. Did you read this letter this week like I encouraged you to last week to take these four short chapters and read them? I read it again this morning before I came just to remember and to recognize and to look for the, the cues throughout this, these four short chapters, Paul's joy. Did you see it? If you didn't read it this week, I would encourage you to sit down, take just a few minutes. It only takes a few minutes to read this little letter Philippians, and I think throughout you'll see the threads of joy sewn throughout the fabric of the instruction and the encouragement that he gives the Philippian believers. Picture this Paul in prison, and yet, what joy! And what joy we can see in this example. And I think we can see here from Paul's example that there is a reason for joy even in the midst of adverse circumstances, even in the midst of difficulty. And I would suggest even as you grieve, even as you shed tears, I know this is true. I know that some of you in this room know this is true. Some of you maybe have not experienced this before, but there is joy even in adverse circumstances if you will follow Paul's example. I want you to see Paul's example this morning. If you will have a single-minded focus on Christ and on his gospel. If you will live your life with a single-minded focus on Christ and on his gospel, I believe that in the midst of extreme difficulty, even as you shed tears of grief, you will be able to say, I rejoice in the Lord because I know he's at work. I think we see that in Paul's example. Paul's joy in the midst of difficulty is only possible because he was able to see the big picture. That God was advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ with this difficulty. And he sees that there's been positive impact. Even through his imprisonment, he's seen it on unbelievers and he's seen it on believers. So I want you to note first how Paul was rooted in his focus on the gospel of Christ rooted in his focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. In verse 12, note in verse 12 how Paul makes it clear that his difficulties have actually served to advance the gospel. 
And Paul could be joyful because he knew that God's purposes had not been thwarted by his imprisonment. He knows that God is in control. Do you know that? That's why I tell you to read the Bible. That's why I tell you to commune with God in prayer. That's why we started the year this way, talking about how necessary it is and how desperately we need the Word, to read the Word of God faithfully, because throughout the pages of God's Word, you will find that the Word instructs you that God is in control. You need to know that. I need to know that. Because trying times will come. Hardship and adversity will show up in your life. And you need to know that God is in control. Paul could be joyful because he knew that God's purposes were not thwarted by this small setback, as we would say, of of the positive Paul. Someone who is discouraged by this might say, well, this is an incredibly terrible thing. Let's free Paul so that he can go out and preach freely. Let's get him out of there. And yet, Paul saw it another way. He knows that God is in control, and he knows that even the most difficult circumstances, in those most difficult circumstances, God intends to use those difficult circumstances. God even intends those difficult circumstances for good. I think of Joseph, whose experience we see in Genesis. Do you ever think of Joseph and his experience? I think of him a lot. I think, praise God, I don't have brothers like Joseph. (laughs) My brothers have never sold me into slavery. I've got an older brother who threatened to beat me up a couple of times. And I think I probably threatened to beat my younger brother up a couple of times, but we never followed through. (laughs) Oh, man, I remember one time. Oh, boy, I shouldn't go there. (laughs) I was probably a rascally teenager at the time, and my older brother was a college student. He was home for a brief time, and I think I was getting on his nerves, and he was definitely getting on mine. And he had me bent over my father's desk with his hand raised in the air. I'm going to hit you, and I'm like, hit me, hit me. Man, I'm glad he didn't hit me. We love each other now. I tell my boys now, love your brothers. Get along with them. Learn to get along with them. If you can't get along with them, you're not going to be able to get along with anybody. Because they know you. They know what a rascal you are. Love them. Enjoy this time together because one day you're going to look back and wish that you could be with them again. That's really true of my brothers and my sister and me. I remember one time my sister did beat me up. But it was for my own good, and she was half my size. You ever think of Joseph? Think of the example of Joseph. Think of this experience that we know of Joseph, whose brothers sold him into slavery. Joseph's brothers treated him terribly, to say the least. And as a result, off to Egypt he went and he endured some severe trials. But through it all, 
God was there. God was working. And if you know the story of Joseph, you know that again and again, God was working. God was helping Joseph. And after everything, Joseph expresses his understanding after all that he endured he expresses his understanding that God was in control and it was all a part of God's plan listen to Joseph's words to his brothers in Genesis 50 and verse 20 and these are some of my favorite words in all of scripture as for you you meant evil against me and my two favorite words in the whole Bible but God As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And as we will be observing the Lord's Supper together in a few moments, I think also of the crucifixion. In fact, if you know the story of Joseph, in a way, it's almost a prefiguring of what Christ would do for those who hated him and crucified him and killed him. I think of the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which Peter proclaims in Acts chapter 2, in verses 23 and 24, was a fulfillment of God's good purposes when he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. Hear this. The definite plan and foreknowledge. Now understand this foreknowledge of God is not like God going, I, I think I see what's going to happen, so this is what I'm going to do. No, no. Foreknowledge, in the, you need to understand that God's foreknowledge is the planning of what's going to happen. And you can see that here in this verse. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. And all God's people could say to that, praise God. So from these accounts, we know God was in control all along. And this Paul knew. He knew this was true of his own circumstances. So he could look at his severe difficulties and with a single-minded focus on Jesus and his gospel, he could see that God intended this hardship to accomplish his good purposes. And here's the key to Paul's joy. Here's the key to Paul's joy, Paul's one aim. His singular focus, his passion in life had become the cause of Christ. The one passion that drove Paul was that the gospel of Jesus Christ be advanced, be proclaimed. And his expectation that Christ would be magnified, his expectations that in whatever occurred, that Christ would be magnified, 
no matter what happened in his circumstances, no matter what happened around him, that Christ would be magnified. His expectation was the source of his joy. Look at Philippians 1 and verse 20 for a moment where we see evidence of this and we recited this together this morning. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul could be joyful even though he was in prison because he knew that God was advancing the gospel and he was content with God doing that any way he saw fit. And his hardship was indeed advancing the gospel. Paul had opportunities from prison to impact others with the gospel of Christ that he would not have had otherwise. I wonder how many among us can put ourselves there today and say, God, you do whatever you want. You orchestrate the events and the circumstances and even the hardships in my life however you see fit. And I'm going to center myself on the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. And I'm going to live every day reminding myself that you're in control. Reminding myself to be content with whatever comes, knowing that you, God, are in control and that you will make Christ known. Note that Paul's expectation wasn't for wealth wasn't for respect, it wasn't for personal comfort or any other personal gain. What he wanted most was for Jesus Christ to be magnified. And please don't hear me saying here that if you are hearing this message today and you aren't in a full-time vocational ministry, that God is calling you to that. Some of you, he may be calling to that. But I would, I would guess to say that, that more likely than not, most of us, God wants us to leave this place today and go into our week, into our work, go to our families, our friends, our loved ones, our children, our parents, interacting with the community and the culture that we live in and around with this singular focus in mind the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Seeing everything as an opportunity, not that you go and preach, 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 but that you go and live in such a way that your life preaches and that you take advantage of those opportunities when the doors open to share the gospel. Because we have this example from Paul. I think it's fitting in the culture in which we live. Paul is not hung up on wealth. That is not what drives him. Wealth does not drive him. And oh my, we need to hear this today. Does wealth drive you? It can be tempting. Just a little bit more? Does that drive you just a little bit more? If I had just a little bit more, I'd be okay. I'd be content. Guess what? That never happens. 
with just a little bit more? Is it comfort? Is it comfort you think you need? Is it respect you think you need? Is there some other personal gain that's driving you? You can have joy in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Yes, you can. Because if you're God's child, you can know that God is using even your hardships for your good and for his good purposes. Says Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Beloved, you can know joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. If you focus your life on Christ, if you focus your life on Christ and on his gospel, and remember that God intends those difficulties that you find yourself in to accomplish his good purposes. In fact, the greatest opportunity to magnify Christ is often found in the midst of trials. Not in the absence of trials. Often, the greatest opportunity to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and to make him known is found in the midst of a trying circumstance. Peter writes of this in 1 Peter 3. Listen to verses 14 and following. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. It is evident there in 1 Peter 3 that there is blessing and joy for the believer whose hope is in God and whose single-minded focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. As Peter reminds us that we're to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that is in us. So when others see that your hope is in the Lord, even in the midst of a trying circumstance, when they see the joy that you have, that you realize only God can give you, in spite of those circumstances, they will want to know about the reason for your hope and it will be an opportunity for you to glorify God and to point others to Christ with the gospel. That was Paul's experience 
We can see it here in Philippians 1, in verse 13. Paul's joy as a result of his single-minded devotion to Christ impacted unbelievers. Notice how his joy impacted unbelievers. Look at verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Your imperial guard, the imperial guard here was an elite group of Roman soldiers. Paul was under constant guard by them. As they worked, typically they worked a six-hour shift. So think of it this way. It's likely Paul had contact with many different guards. During his confinement, he had an opportunity to interact with many different guards and had an opportunity to minister to these guards, and that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. And the word spread about this prisoner who was there because of his faith in Jesus Christ and not because of some crime. Paul also had an opportunity to minister to the court officials as he was brought before the court. And it was evident to the whole imperial guard and to the rest, like the court officials, that Paul's chains were for the cause of Christ. And this included not only the guards, not only the court officials, but also some in Caesar's household. The imperial guards that were guarding Paul, get this, these are the same guards that would also be responsible for guarding the emperor. And those stationed in Caesar's household had contact with those serving in other capacities there. So how far did word about Paul spread? How far did the gospel of Jesus Christ spread? Listen to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now isn't that interesting? All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. That's incredible. There were believers in Caesar's household. Think of it. There were believers in in Caesar's household. How do you suppose that happened? Well, this was likely the result of members of the palace guard who were led to faith in Jesus Christ, in turn spreading the news of their newfound faith to these others, including those in Caesar's household. And Paul understood that this difficulty of being imprisoned was intended by God to spread the gospel to the lives of other people. And Paul was resting in the knowledge that God was at work. God was accomplishing his good purposes and Paul's joy And his witness for Christ had an impact on unbelievers. I pray this for us. I pray this for us, that we would live with a single-minded devotion to Christ and his gospel, and that as a result, we would know the Lord's joy, and that our joy would be a witness that makes Christ known. That people would be Compelled to say, what is it about you? You're so different than I am. How do you do that? And you can say, it's not me. It's Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about him. I heard Joe Stoll 
now president of Cornerstone University, say something at a pastor's conference a few years ago that has stayed with me. He said, attitude trumps activity. Attitude trumps activity. Believer, do you want to have an impact on unbelievers? Do you want to leave this place today and go out into your work week or your school week and and have influence in the lives of unbelievers for the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel? And you need to fix your attention on living for Christ and his gospel. Understanding that your testimony for the cause of Christ will glorify God when your attitude in the face of difficulty glorifies God. Because attitude trumps activity. Now let's note in verse 14 how Paul's single-minded devotion to Christ and his gospel resulted in joy that also impacted other believers. Not only did he impact unbelievers, but he impacted other believers. Notice how his joy impacted believers in verse 14 where it says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Joy is contagious. Paul's joy in the midst of difficulty gave courage to other believers. That was contagious. They saw Paul's single-minded devotion to Christ, and they saw in the midst of his trying circumstances how God was taking care of him and using him. And encouraged by Paul, they became more courageous. Encouraged by Paul and his outlook, and his faithful testimony, and his positive outlook, and his unwavering faith that God was in control, they became more courageous to speak of the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ and to do it without fear. I mean, it wasn't like they thought there would be no circumstances. After all, Paul was in prison. And they thought, well, maybe we could end up there too, but no, we're not going to fear them. We're going to fear God. And we're going to speak the truth. Believers, we can have faith and courage and joy in adversity that encourages other believers to remain faithful themselves if we will take a lesson from Paul here. Paul could know joy in adversity because his passion was for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul could be joyful because not only did he understand that God was fulfilling his plans with this difficulty, using it to impact unbelievers, but he knew that God was also using these difficulties and his response to them to embolden other believers for the sake of the gospel. Look what God did with Paul's example of devotion to Christ and his gospel. Look what what God did. And look how God used Paul's example of joy. Other believers were being encouraged to share the gospel more boldly. Oh, I pray that for us too, that our lives would ooze joy in the Lord. And that would rub off on our brothers and sisters in Christ and that we would be emboldened to live for the Lord Jesus Christ in a dark culture 
that says the Bible is evil and that evil is good. We know that's upside down. As Dan reminded us this morning, we know that Satan's not going to win. But we need to have courage. We need boldness. May we encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ by our steadfast, firm faith that God is in control. And he is working even in, in our adverse circumstances so that our joy might embolden other believers to share the gospel more boldly themselves. In a few moments, we're going to leave this place. As we leave this place, may this same single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ and his gospel also be ours and carry us into this week that we might be missionaries going out into this community and the surrounding communities and all over the place with a single-minded devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. May that be true of us.